0: afternoon. Hello, everyone. Um, it's nice to see more familiar faces than the morning meeting. <laughs> uh, yeah, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Alice, uh, and it's a pleasure to be speaking to you guys um, this afternoon. Uh, I'm more of an afternoon service attender, mostly because I get to hang out with these amazing people who are going to stay in. And if there's any more temptation to be paying attention and being active listeners, I've given you guys some questions. If I get a full answer sheet at the back, someone might get a prize. So if there's not a more appeal for getting for getting active listening, then dairy milk, I don't know what is. Security protected as well, who knows what that means? It's serious serious stuff, we take these things, prizes are taken seriously in youth. Um, So I had the privilege of being at Oasis for a little bit under two years, um, and uh, like I said in the morning service, I want to take this opportunity just to say thank you for uh, being such a welcoming group of people. Um, some of you all know what it's like to move cities as an adult and having to do that several times. And it's hard to try and find a place that you can call home and call home so quickly. And you guys have just been that. Um, And it made me feel really settled in a city that is big and sometimes a bit scary. So thank you and to your credit for doing that. So um, so bless you guys for that. Uh, We've been looking at some incredible promises over the last few weeks in the Beatitudes. The Living Restoration series for me has been a reminder that Jesus... He first does rescue us and restores us to a relationship with our Father, a massive task in and of itself. But he doesn't leave us there. He's in the business of restoring us into the people that God originally created us to be. And not only that, but he partners with us in bringing about restoration to our society and our world. And I'm going to round off this series by looking at the last bit of the passage. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 3. And end in 16. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets, prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're going to be looking this afternoon at what it means to be salt and light. What exactly is Jesus calling us to be. Now, as Adrian mentioned, I'm a a doctor, and at the moment I'm working on a kidney ward. So I must confess, actually, I'm on a bit of an anti-salt campaign at work, because kidneys and and salt aren't actually the best combination. Um, And I spend most of my days telling little old ladies that those extra packets of salt they want to sprinkle on their shepherd's pie isn't helping get them out of hospital. But I'm having to sort of reverse my thinking on that one, because actually if money makes the world go round, so they say in 2019, the ancient Middle East equivalent was probably salt. Salt was being traded weight for weight for gold. Even Roman soldiers were actually at times paid in salt. Hence the saying circulating, being worth his salt. So what was it Jesus was talking about when he calls us, his followers, to be like salt? I always like to start with food. Why do we use it in cooking? Why do we use salt and why do we add it to our recipes? It adds flavour, it adds richness and it adds life to the, the meals that we're cooking. It doesn't hide or mask flavors. It allows them to taste even richer. The message puts this verse like this. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. God made this world and he made it good. So when we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's not a call to sit back on our laurels and and wait for him to do something. No, we're the ones that are bringing out God's flavors. The point that God made it good. We look for, pe- for God in people and in situations that we are surrounded by. That colleague at work, that friend at school that maybe everyone else avoids, am I bringing out the flavors God's placed in them? That difficult situation maybe in your family, am I bringing in the God seasoning or am I just adding my own flavors and perspectives? It's always good to use examples and I thought I'd go a bit rogue with this one. It went all right this morning so we'll see how it goes with you guys. Um, some of you might recognize the logo that's up on the slide and maybe having slight palpitations about where I'm going with that. But one of the first things that came to mind when I saw uh, the passage, when my me specifically to look at this passage and looking at Salt, was the Christian dating app, Salt. Dating in 2019, I can tell you, is no walk in the park. And dating apps and websites have added their own complications and hurdles to overcome. But yeah, this is going over your guys' heads, isn't it? No, it's fine. You've got this joy to come. Um, (laughs) um, they've also brought about new opportunities for us to be salt we have just as much responsibility to be salt in the online community as we do face to face so are we just swiping right again straight over your heads great are we just swiping right and enjoying the feeling of a match or are we looking to see god's best in the person that we're interacting with click into this bit as well guys because it's online in all capacities. There's a temptation with interaction online to treat people in a way that we wouldn't treat someone face-to-face, to To maybe pretend to be something that we're not, not letting our yes be yes and our no be no. But for those of you that aren't negotiating modern-day relationships, are you adding salt seasoning to your presence on social media, say? Or in interactions via email or on the phone? Salt seasoning should be in every aspect of our lives. And you'll be glad to know this isn't a relationship talk, so I'm going to move swiftly on to a far more comfortable subject. Salt brings healing and cleaning, but the process isn't always pain-free. I've had some really great um, opportunities and privilege to work a, a bit in the Middle East, and particularly in Israel. Um, and while I was there, I got to go to the Dead Sea, which is a massive, extremely salty body of water between Israel and Jordan. And it's pretty immense, you get to float and you know, read your book, lying on the Sea, it's great. But what I hadn't quite factored in was that I have, I can get quite bad eczema, and at the time I was having a flare. And I hadn't copped on and just got so excited about getting into the Dead Sea, that I hadn't thought that actually the salt in the Dead Sea was going to hurt, and I felt like my body was on fire. Um, salt stings when it gets into the wounds, and when it finds those areas in your life that are particularly sensitive, it hurts. Adrian gave a great, albeit ch- challenging, message last week about an early part in the Beatitudes that prepares us for the fact that the message of Jesus isn't always going to sit easy with people or even with ourselves. Truth can sting, but it goes on to bring healing and get rid of the lies that are doing damage. It restores. I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that um, message from last week if you didn't get to hear it. And the final aspect of salt that I particularly picked out was it being a reminder of his promises and his faithfulness. Back in the Old Testament, God used salt as a way of reminding his people of the promises and the covenant that he had made and given to them. In Leviticus chapter 2, I'm not normally in Leviticus, I must say, but this was an exposing verse. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. He knows we're forgetful. He knows we're going to need reminders actually what communion is as well it's a it's an, it's a way of god saying to us i know you're going to need a reminder let me give you a physical example that's what he used was doing with salt to people back in the the israelites back in the old testament but we can be that for each other in this community are we reminding each other of his promises what's coming out of our mouths when we're interacting with us each other is it just formalities and a bit of superficial chat or is it actually did you hit, well, what did you think of the, the sermon last week? How did it encourage you? How did it challenge you? Colossians chapter 4, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Or the message puts it like this, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. Are we doing that as a body of believers here? Are we seasoning our speech with salt? Jesus then takes us on to uh, another image, a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Some of you know, will know, and particularly those that have lived with me, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with night shifts. Uh, there's some bits of them that are great fun, like the full English breakfast on a Monday morning when you are just in a stint of nights. When you guys are all going to work on a Monday morning, I've got the Monday morning feeling, and I know I'm going to have a big breakfast and get into bed. It's immense. <laughs> But there are, there are also some other highs, and I worked in one hospital um, down south that had a, a corridor length of the whole hospital, and nights, their lights would be on like a timer situation, so the corridor would be dark when no one was there. But when I had to strut myself down the corridor to some sort of dramatic emergency, the lights would come on. Oh, it was such a boost for the ego. As I walked down the corridor, the lights going on ahead of me, a little bit reminiscent of a horror film, but we'll move on from that. But the darkness in that place had not a chance when I walked down that corridor. The light was coming and the darkness couldn't stay. When you become a follower of Jesus, you carry him in you. You carry the resurrected, healing, restorative power of him in you. And the darkness can't stay. But that's not how it always feels, I know that. Particularly when you spend most of your time in what seems like dark places. Trust me, A and E. Um, my sister works at the children's, A&E, um, the children's A&E here in Birmingham. A&E on a Friday night, not a fun place. It's a very dark place. But, and sometimes you feel that even more so when you're the only Christian in that environment. But I was reminded recently that all of him is in each one of us. It's not like when you become a follower of, of, of him, he sort of divides off a bit more of himself, puts that in you, and you've got a little bit of him. And then the more of you together, it sort of makes a bit more and you're a bit stronger. Actually, no, all of Him is in you. When you walk into your office, your classroom, even your home, you take all of Him and the power that comes with Him in you. And God spinning out of you will transform the way you live. You're living with a completely different end game to those you're surrounded by. You're living with an end goal of heaven, not of earth. That's going to look a bit weird. I love the quote that Mike used uh, recently from Tom Wright, he's one of my all-time heroes, when he was reflecting on the Beatitudes. He said, this is a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's promised future. It may seem upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that it is, in fact, the right way up. We live in a way that makes sense in the light of eternity. We're playing the long game, and that's a powerful presence to bring to your circumstances and your environments. No longer are our actions dictated by fear of what's to come. Will Brexit happen? Won't it? Who's going to be our next prime minister? Will housing market crash? That's not what's. That's not our end game anymore. That's not what preoccupies our thinking. And it's the same about ourselves. We're not preoccupied with ourselves anymore. I need to get myself on the property ladder. How am I going to get more likes on social media? How am I going to get this promotion? Again, when you're living with the end goal of heaven. Those things aren't important. Our foundation is him, our certainty that he works it together for good, and our legacy is him glorified. And now what causes us to live in a way that's just radically different to the way society dictates as normal? But before I go any further, I just want to pause for a minute. And particularly, I want to pause for a minute to, to stop anyone that's going down the trail of thought that in some way we need to work harder or try harder at being salt and light. Being salt and light is about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. In fact, sometimes it's in spite of me. A lot of what we have talked about in the Beatitudes are characteristics that are born out of being flawed by what He's done for us. We can comfort others because we were first comforted. We show mercy because He first showed it to us. We bring peace because He's shown us how it's done. Mike talk at the start of the series as these Beatitudes being blessed are those who know their need. We've not got to be perfect. I once heard a story, and it it broke my heart, of someone feeling that she couldn't become a Christian because she wasn't good enough. No, 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 no. We're all broken. We're all fragile clay that he is not only fixing with his golden sealant, but filling with his treasure and letting it pour out. Being a Christian just means that you know that you're a broken pot and are handing yourself over to the potter to make what is broken new and beautiful. God is transforming us bringing us to completion, that is salt and that is light. But Jesus goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness. Salt loses its saltiness when it becomes dilute. Salt particles don't suddenly stop being salt, but the power and flavor that they carry stops being effective when it gets mixed in with other flavors that it wasn't meant to be. This can so easily happen to us, and I'm definitely guilty of this. Sometimes these distractions and dilutions might actually seem like good things. When you see a calling God has put on someone else's life, or a season of life that they're in, that maybe you're not, and you want to chase after that, that could be a dilution. God has made you to be you. Extrovert, introvert, academic, practical, what has he put in you? And what about this hiding the light under a basket? We're tempted to hide our life from the world when we forget the difference Jesus has made in our lives, when we forget and take our eyes off of him. I don't know if any of you have got what I call a Netflix evangelist in your life. The person who always seems to have an amazing series that you just have to watch. is looking (laughs) really at me there. Um, Something that you just have to watch and goes on and on about it until you cave and then watch all three series in one go. (laughs) Why is it that we find a really good series or a fantastic restaurant or read a good book? We have to tell everyone about it. But yet it's a bit different with the gospel. I'm tired of hearing the sound of my own voice. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them briefly about something that you love and you wish everyone in Birmingham knew about. And then if it's really good, I want you to come tell me afterwards. <laughs> so just spend a couple of minutes chatting to the person next to you. That's getting on. Is this right? Why might we hide our light? Can we have answers? Is it coming next? Look at your notes. Look at my notes. Okay, have we got some, some good ones? Who went for a Netflix series or a TV series? Didn't you? Yeah? Okay. okay, fair enough. We're so quick to um, sh- want to share with other people the things that, um, that we've got hold of, and that's great, and that's really good, but why is it the truth that can actually really transform someone's life? We're afraid of sharing. I don't need to convince you that the world's a dark place, and, it's, and it knows it. I was listening to a really interesting discussion recently between Russell Brand and Brené Brown. It was slightly surreal, but concluding that what our world needs is spirituality. The world has realized that human reason and niceness only takes us so far. As Johnny encouraged encourages a few weeks ago, we hold a key, a truth that is so much deeper than spirituality but a living, moving, present Jesus who lifts us with promises that he is never going to leave us or forsake us. We sang about that today. That became a real anthem. That song, um, You're Never Gonna Let Me Down, was a real anthem for me, particularly in my moving to Birmingham. When you feel a little bit like you're on your own in this new place, that was a real anthem for me. He, through him we can hold on to a bright future where pain will pass and there'll be no more tears. We can truly say it is well with my soul and live each day in the peace and security knowing that it's going to be okay. Now this comes with a balance of wisdom. Forcing anything down someone's throat is never going to end in a happy experience. But prayerfully asking God to open doors to share the difference God's made in your life is so important. It comes from a place of loving them. It also comes from a place of God loving them. So that what flows out of him flows through us. It's coming directly from his heart. So how do I ensure that what is flowing out out of me is flowing from him? Well, you sound like who you spend time with. I love my mum dearly. She's fantastic. But something I had to enjoy growing up was everyone confusing me with her. Whenever I answer the phone, and actually still even to this day, people would think I was her. And before I could get a word in the edgeways, I'd be hearing far more than I would wanted to, and things they wanted to share with her. I sound like her because I was blessed to spend 18 years of my life with her, learning from her, spending time with her. And just to reassure you, that's not because I've abandoned her now, we still chat quite a lot on the phone, and it's why people still confuse us. But the fact that they confuse me, me with her is evidence of the fact that I've spent time with her, that I've learned from her, that I've listened to her. It's actually why I sound more Southern than actually I am. I'm um, from originally. She used to say, Apparently I came home one day from school and said to her, I'm from Leicester originally, and I said to her, Mum, what's the difference between ain't and isn't it? But she quick to correct me on that one. So my suggestion would be that we sound like who we spend time with. So how can we sound like, more like Jesus? Spend time with him. It sounds simple. And to be honest it can be. There are three things that I found particularly helpful in my own life. And they're things that you'll have heard before. First one, reading the Bible. And I'm not talking great long passages with a concordance and commentary sat next to you and hours in the morning. Just a verse a day. We say that we look at our phones every 15 minutes. There are apps that can have the Bible verses on the front of your screen popping up as reminders. So rather than scrolling through Facebook, can we scroll through our Bible app? Hearing Jesus' words, it gets inside of you and then pours out about praying. Again, this is something that's easier said than done sometimes if you want to spend long periods of time in the morning interceding and praying. and Some people have time for that, but some of us won't, and that's fine. Having a conversation with Jesus throughout the day is also really important, but it's, it's a discipline that one has to develop. It's something that we've actually seen with my grandmother recently. She became a, a Christian in her 40s, and we hadn't realized what a faithful prayer she was until recently, Um, her dementia has progressed quite quickly and she's been in and out of hospital and found it quite distressing at times uncertain of who she is or where she is. But something that we found is actually far more soothing than the doctors wanting to give her any tablets or anything like that is praying with her, pointing her back to scripture, saying the Lord's prayer over her. My mum sitting with her and praying with her, even just watching her praying on her own because she's blind and obviously often can't see what's around her, just settles her down and reorientates her. And she's speaking out those truths of when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. She can't remember her name, but she knows that's true. She's developed that habit of praying. And then finally, spending time with other believers. And this, for me, is such a joy of being part of Oasis. Being plugged into a home group that will do life with you and pray for you and support you and come and listen to both services when you're preaching. (laughs) It makes such a difference in terms of having that encouragement, those people around you that speak truth over your lives, life that will build you up when you're feeling low or celebrate with you when something great has happened. I've also started meeting with two of the women in Oasis regularly around our shifts that we can keep each other accountable, share life with each other and speak truth and promise into each other's lives. These things are so important. Spending time with these people who are also spending time with Jesus, you can't help but become like him. But what about when I don't feel like I can be salt and light? When I was thinking about this and just mulling this over, I was reminded of um, the Screwtape Letters. Who here's has read the Screwtape Letters? C.S. Lewis. Ah, oh, just some comedy genius. C.S. Lewis. I'm making a beeline for him in heaven. But anyway, um, Screwtape Letters is a book that is a series of letters, a conversation between a senior demon, Screwtape, and his mentee, a junior demon. And Screwtape's trying to teach his mentee how best to turn people away from Jesus and cause chaos in the world. And I saw this quote in in the Screwtape letters. and, And when he refers to him, he's referring to God. So I'm going to read this twice just to let it sink in a bit. So Screwtape talking to his mentee. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human looks round upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished Ask why he's been forsaken and still obeys. I'll read it one more time. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human looks around upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and yet still obeys. When you feel discouraged, downbeaten, and can't see what God is doing in the situation you're faced with and still hold on, you're an unstoppable force. Do not think you can't be salt and light. When we are weak, then he is strong. And there are times when we just need to cling on to what we know is true, even when we don't feel like it. Because thankfully, it's not our feelings that dictate what's true. It's him. When I was preparing to, when Mike first asked me to do this talk, and I began to prepare, I'd had um, some, bad news, some news about my own health and stuff going on at work and stuff in, in the family that was making me feel like, Lord, there's nothing of me left to share. Um, and it was then that he firstly pointed me to this and secondly said, said to me, well, it's, I'm not wanting you to share everything of you. I want just, I'm, it's about me. So actually it's fine that when you're weak, cause that's when I'm strong. 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse four, we are confident of all of this because of our great trust in God through Christ it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. And then again, a bit later in the book, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Just in case you've, you've missed that in this talk or in any doubt, it's about Him. He is good. He is so glorious, he is so faithful, and he's restoring you, he's restoring me. Over the last few weeks, we've heard some amazing promises about how God doesn't leave us in the mess that we're in. He pulls us out of the miry clay, sets our feet on a rock and the sure foundation of Jesus, and then sets about restoring and transforming us into who we were originally made to be. And that's so attractive to those around us. We remind people that what God made is good, and we shine a light in the darkness that says he's not finished yet. He's coming back. I'm gonna just, and then I'm just gonna pray for us if that's okay. Father, we praise you for the the truth that you've given us, for the promises you've spoken over us, and the fact that you are true to your word For all that. That has been shared in the weeks gone past, for the, for the promises that seem so countercultural, that seem so different to the way that society tells us it's true. Father, we, we fix our eyes on you, and we remind ourselves again that you are what's true. It is you that we hold on to. And when the world seems dark, just raise our eyes to look at you, to see that you are true, that you are light, and that you are restoring us. Father, we partner with you again. Let us be salt. Let us be light. Let us be your hands and our feet, in our various circumstances, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever it is that we find ourselves tomorrow. Let us be your salt and light. Let us be your hands and your feet. We praise you, Father. Amen.